Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, economics and trade correspondent for The Economist in London. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. In this episode, we talk to Doug Irwin of Dartmouth College and also the Peterson Institute about protectionism in American history. We started off by asking about Henry Clay, one of America's most prominent protectionists. Here's a speech he delivered in 1824. Are we doomed to behold our industry languish and decay yet more and more? But there is a remedy, and that remedy consists in modifying our foreign policy and in adopting a genuine American system. We must naturalize the arts in our country and we must naturalize them by the only means which the wisdom of nations has yet discovered to be effectual, by adequate protection against the otherwise overwhelming influence of foreigners. Clay proposed an American system. His idea was that American industry needed protection from foreigners. Tariffs would boost manufacturing and make America strong. First, we asked Doug to talk about why this idea of the American system was so important. Sure. So the idea of American system has come up time and time again in American history. And in particular, the Republican Party after the Civil War, uh, up until Smoot-Hawley, would always sort of invoke it, saying that protectionism serves the general American interest. Everyone will benefit from it. If we have a strong manufacturing economy, we'll have a strong economy overall. And you see historical echoes of that even today with Steve Bannon and others saying that protectionism made America great, and we need to return to those days. Could you explain a bit more about the problem that Henry Clay's American system was trying to solve? When he made his American system address, and he gave it again and again and again throughout the 1820s and 1830s, he always contrasted the American system with what he called the foreign system, where the American economy would be dependent on foreign trade. And he said the problem with that is foreign markets are Uh, volatile and we can't depend on them, whereas we can always depend on the demand coming from American manufacturers. So he said the farm sector and others uh, should, uh, you know, reduce their dependence on foreign markets and we need an American system for American jobs, for American producers, and that would help make America a strong power. So over time, people started using a different sort of intellectual justification for tariff protection, uh, something called the infant industry argument. So here the idea is that tariffs are supposed to protect young infant industries until they're strong enough to compete internationally. Just as you'd want to protect an infant growing up into adulthood, you want to protect these small growing industries from the big tough foreign competitors by providing them with protection for a limited amount of time to allow them to grow up, mature, become more technologically advanced, and then they are ready to compete on the world market. So let me play devil's advocate for a moment and say, let's come up with a theory in which this might actually work. So the idea would be that if you have a sector where there's external economies of scale, where if one firm acquires a technology, it will spill over to others in the industry. So the growth in the industry overall leads to more investment and more technological progress. This could become a welfare-improving and competitive sector ultimately. Uh, there's been a lot of work in theory on whether this could work out because certainly the idea seems to make intuitive sense. John Stuart Mill talked about it. Alexander Hamilton talked about it. It's been around for a long time. I guess the real question is, in the real world, does it work out? When you protect an industry, you could get two potential outcomes. One is that you're just protecting technological laggards that never grow up, 
the proverbial uh, teenager that never leaves the basement and never grows up and becomes a mature adult, or you could actually possibly foster their growth and development, in which case it might work out. The worry is that they never grow up and so that you don't want to destroy them and so protectionism becomes self-perpetuating. It's not time limited, the industry doesn't mature, and you're just protecting for many, many years an industry that's not competitive, low productivity, maybe has some workers in it, but um, is always costly to taxpayers and costly to consumers. Could you explain that point about the kinds of macroeconomic problems you might get if you have a tariff-protected infant industry that just won't grow up? So um, one of the problems with infant industries is if you're perpetually propping them up with protection, you're failing to reallocate your resources towards those sectors in which you have a comparative advantage, in which you can export and earn the foreign exchange to buy imports. So if you're always propping up inefficient industries, you won't develop the efficient ones that will help the economy grow prosper. As an economist, how would you go about testing the claim that protectionism works? Well, the only way to really test it is to look at historical case studies of instances in which governments uh, target certain sectors, provide them with protection, and then to see what happens. Now, history isn't going to give you necessarily a clear-cut answer because economists are obsessed with the counterfactual. What would have happened otherwise? And we don't observe the counterfactual, so we have to either make some sort of judgment about what we think would have happened in the absence of protection, or if there's no protection, what would have happened if we had intervened to help out a particular sector. And that's a lot of unknowables, so it is a bit of a speculation about how these things work out in practice. So one of the problems with assessing the infant industry argument for the U.S. economy, particularly after the Civil War when tariffs are uniformly high, is that precisely that. They were uniformly high. They weren't picking certain sectors one over another. They're sort of blanket protection. So we don't know what would have happened if that protection had been removed, whether the industries would have suffered and collapsed, or whether they would have grown quite naturally anyway. They really weren't dependent on protection. Are there any other reasons to be really careful before we conclude that tariffs caused industries to grow? So we often think that the governments are capable of intervening to help out and protect infant industries, and that uh, if you provide protection, that will give rise to infant industries that can potentially grow up. When we look at American history, however, what we see is that the, the causality goes the other way around, that infant industries arise for certain reasons, and then they demand protection. So you're getting protection not to cause the the growth of the infant industries, but the infant industries become a lobby group that demand protection. So are there good examples out there of what people have claimed to be instances in which the government in the United States provided protection, the industries then flourished, and they've claimed, ah, there was a success story from infant industry protection? So the Jeffersonian trade embargo of 1807 to 1809 is really an interesting uh, extreme example of what happens when you sort of close off an economy to a trade, in part to uh, uh, develop uh, some infant manufacturing. So this is the case where the President of the United States declared that U.S. ports were closed to foreign commerce for over a year. So this is not just imposing a little bit of a tariff here or there. It's actually closing the U.S. economy to foreign trade. And what we see is that export-oriented industries utterly collapse. Uh, The merchant marine industry is basically sidelined and uh, with a great deal of unemployment in American ports. But because the American economy was deprived of imports of manufactured goods, infant industries grew up. Now, a lot of them did not survive because they just simply weren't competitive when trade returned and imports came back. And the whole embargo itself was incredibly disruptive to the American economy. Trade was about 5 to 10 percent of GDP. You're shutting that off for an entire year. And it caused a major recession equivalent to about 5 percent of GDP over six months, which is a huge shock to the American economy. 
presumably the embargo was good for some sectors. Exactly. So the, the embargo had really sharp effects on the U.S. economy. So things that we were deprived of importing, textiles, glass, some metals, those industries began to rise up, uh, some around Philadelphia, some in Massachusetts in terms of the textile industry. But the U.S. was also exporting some manufactured goods, ships, timber, processed timber and things of that sort, and those exports utterly collapsed. So it's not clear that it overall uh, helped out the manufacturing economy. You got this shift between different sectors of the manufacturing economy. Some helped because imports were out of the market. Some hurt because they could no longer export. And am I right that when we're talking about these sectors like textiles and glass, these aren't ones that would quintessentially fit the definition of you know, what it takes to be successful for infant industry protection. And so is, is that sort of the story? And then when the protection was removed, they started to suffer and, and couldn't compete any longer? Exactly. So what happened is uh, when after the embargo, there's the War of 1812, there's actually a number of years here where U.S. foreign trade is disrupted. When the peace comes in 1816, all of a sudden, these industries, which really weren't firmly established, faced an onslaught of imports from Britain and other countries, and that's where the demand for protection arose, and that's when tariffs begin to go up. And so back to your teenager analogy, they asked to move back into your basement. <laughs> exactly. A lot of the protection of the, of the period was not designed to help infant industries. You know, the sugar industry always uh, needed tariff protection because it was uncompetitive. And there's no way that it was going to become a, a progressive, technologically advanced industry where the U.S. would be exporting sugar. It was just pure protection to help out the domestic producers. No sense that they were ever going to grow up and become mature. It doesn't sound like you're that convinced by the idea that the trade embargo helped American industry. But I've repeatedly encountered people giving America as the example of tariff protection making the industry great. What's behind that? It's really just the correlation that uh, the U.S. economy grew very rapidly in the late 19th century during a period in which we had high tariffs. And so some people naturally conclude that those high tariffs were driving the economic growth of the United States during this period. And I think when you look at that more carefully, you find a lot of flaws with that argument. First of all, we all know correlation is not causation. So we need to know, were the tariffs on imported manufactured goods really driving the growth of the manufacturing economy? And it turns out in the period from 1840 to 1860, prior to the Civil War, when tariffs were actually low, the U.S. manufacturing economy grew at a very rapid rate, just as rapidly as it did under high tariffs. In addition, when you look at some of the late 19th century industries, some of them actually survived some tariff cuts during this period with no limitations in terms of their growth and their economic expansion. More generally, the U.S. economy is growing in the late 19th century, largely in the service sector. Manufacturing as a share of GDP did not grow in any particularly strong way. There were a lot of technological innovations in services. Uh, we had a lot of immigration, so the labor force was growing rapidly. We had changes in our banking laws, which led to more efficient capital accumulation across a host of industries, not just those protected by the tariff. And finally, a lot of the tariffs were actually on intermediate goods, which harmed production of the downstream manufacturing industries. So there's a lot of flaws, I believe, in the, the simple case that high tariffs led to strong growth. Huh. Okay. Could you debunk the idea a bit more, with maybe with some examples of specific products that everyone thought were really successfully protected infant industries? So one example where we can show that a domestic industry that everyone thought was an infant really had already matured and didn't need tariffs is the cotton textile industry, which really did grow up around the time of the Jeffersonian embargo. But 
really didn't need protection from the 1820s or 1830s. It was a mature industry, even though it wasn't an exporting industry. We know this because in 1846, the tariff was slashed from about 70% to 20% on imported cotton textiles, and there's a virtually no impact on the domestic industry in terms of the growth of its output. And the reason why that tariff cut didn't adversely affect the industry is because we're importing very different types of cloths from Britain than we were producing domestically. We were producing cheap, coarse cloths here in the U.S. We we're importing much finer cloths from abroad, and the industries just were simply not competing with one another directly. Right. So if your domestic industry doesn't face much competition from outside because the foreign producers just don't make the same product as you, then a tariff isn't going to help you much more. Precisely. And the U.S. industry had adjusted to produce a very different type of cloth than the foreign producers, beca precisely because they didn't want that to take on that competition head on head. So how about some examples from after the Civil War? Are there, are there specific industries there where the story goes that the protection helped them grow? And what actually happened? Once again, the problem is that protection was sort of applied across the board, so it's hard to pick out individual cases. But there is one that I've looked at, the tin plate industry, which, due to a very mistaken interpretation of the tariff code and literally moving a comma in the tariff code, led to no protection for the tin plate industry in the United States. And that was remedied only late in 1890. This is really the one case in which the federal government really was trying to uh, promote an infant industry and gave time-limited protection. They raised the tariff on imported tin plate, which was not wanted by uh, tin plate consumers, such as the Standard Oil Company, which used tin plate for oil drums and things of that sort. They raised the tariff on imported tin plate for only five years to try to jumpstart domestic production. It succeeded. The domestic tin plate industry took off and it survived uh, lower tariff cuts later on. So everyone would say, well, we imposed a higher tariff, the industry came into being, it proved to be competitive, the tariff caused that. But once again, here's where you have to look at more general developments in the industry. At the same time, the cost of steel inputs to the U.S. industry was falling, and it turns out that was a much more important force for making the industry competitive than the higher tariff on imports. So lower input costs really were driving the success of the industry, not the tariff on the final good. Are there any examples of tariffs having some kind of positive effect? So there's one case of steel rails where there was incredible learning by doing. That is, the more domestic producers practiced domestic production, their costs fell quite a bit. And there have been some studies on the steel rail industry in the United States, and the argument made that it was tariff protection that allowed the domestic firms to engage in that learning by doing process that made them internationally competitive. And I think there's a debate about that, but certainly that's a case in which one could argue that infant industry tariffs actually helped out that industry and served even consumer welfare in the end. Okay, so I'm at a dinner party. One more time, if someone tells me that protectionism made America great, what do I come back with? And, and yes, I do go to really cool dinner parties. Well, the, the U.S. economy was, was growing uh, rapidly in the late 19th century, but for factors other than the tariff. So, for example, we had open borders. We had mass immigration, a lot of skilled artisans coming in, creating new industries, not because of the tariff. We were open to international capital mobility, so we were getting some foreign investment that was not related to the tariff. We had a lot of technological transfer between Britain, which was at the technological frontier, to the U.S. because of a common heritage, common language, a lot of integration. So the U.S. was actually a very open economy in terms of movement of technology, movement of people, movement of capital. It is true that in certain manufactured goods, they were closed out because of the high tariffs. But otherwise, we were still a big trading power and still open to the uh, world economy in a, in, on all these other dimensions. 
a lot of the protection was for sectors that never became internationally competitive, that really were dependent on the tariff. And if you had removed the tariff, the industry would have shrunk in a dramatic way. At the same time, the U.S. has never been like a developing country where we have these hugely, really inefficient industries. We've always been at the technological frontier. We've always been an advanced country. We always have a lot of domestic competition because we're a continental-sized market. So unlike developing countries, which really uh, hindered and burdened by grossly inefficient industries in autos or something like that, uh, the U.S. has had to prop up these sectors, but they've never been a huge drag on the American economy. So no huge white elephants. So there's a separate question, though, is when you're thinking about trying to help one of these industries, is it the case that tariffs are the, the best way to help the industry? Or can you think of other government policies which would actually do a better job? And what would that be? The standard economist's response is that subsidies would be a much better way than tariffs because that is more likely to be time limited. It's directly targeting the uh, market failure that is inhibiting the growth of infant industries. And so subsidies are generally to be preferred over tariffs as a way of helping out those industries. Wait, how does that work? How are subsidies easier to withdraw than tariffs? Surely if you're getting cash, you are going to fight tooth and nail to hold on to it. Yeah, so that's an argument that can be debated, but I think the general line of logic is that taxpayer subsidies, something that has to be granted in the budget, it's very transparent, and other people are going to be fighting over those funds, whereas the tariff is a hidden tax on consumers. So consumers are paying the subsidy, but the consumers aren't aware of it, don't lobby Congress about it, whereas if it's in the budget as a budget item, those funds could be used for something else and other groups will be fighting to capture that money. And is part of the story too where the, the subsidies preferred to a tariff because of the consumption distortion? So what's the story there? A subsidy is more directly targeted to the particular firms and it doesn't distort consumer choices. So the idea of an infant industry is you don't want consumers to consume less of the product, but when you tax imports, the domestic price goes up and consumers have a, uh, a disincentive to consume more. Whereas with a subsidy, you're just helping the domestic firm lower its costs and that's what you want to do, promote the output and not tax the consumers themselves. So what lessons does history have for governments trying to use tariffs or other types of import controls to help foster infant industries? Well, I would not use the U.S. as a good example of infant industry protection. We had a continental-sized market, a lot of competition, and a lot of technological transfer from the leading country at the time, Great Britain. So the U.S. was never hindered with a lot of inefficient industries. The problem with developing countries today, if they want to use the U.S. as an example, is they have smaller markets, more inefficient producers, and not necessarily access to the best technology of the world. So they can really handicap themselves by protecting sectors that will never grow up, whereas the U.S. experience is quite different. The U.S. economy is in a very different place in the late 19th century, and the costs of the policy are much less. The warning is that the way economists think about infant industry protection, which is some idealized government intervention in, to help out a sector that could be technologically progressive, is not the way it works in the real world. That more often protection becomes because of infant industries, it's not the protection that gives rise to infant industries, and that it's an inherently political exercise. It's very difficult to remove protection once it's imposed, and there can be very large costs to having that protection in place. So if you were an advisor for President Trump and he came to you and said, we want protection to make America great again, what would you tell him? I would say the problem with uh, using tariff protection to make America great is it's going to try to revitalize the industries of the past instead of looking to the industries of the future and to maintain its uh, economic preeminence and be at the technological frontier we have to look to new industries and new sectors and reallocations toward those sectors rather than trying to prop up old industries like textiles or steel or coal. 
world trade today is much different than it was in the past. So we have much more trade in intermediate goods. So whenever you put tariffs on the intermediate goods, you're going to handicap other domestic producers in the downstream industries. And so, as Richard Baldwin has said so memorably, imposing tariffs today is like putting up a wall in the middle of a factory. That's very different than 19th and 20th century trade when it was in final goods, when some of these arguments about infant industry protection may have had a little bit more validity. Okay, great. I think that is all from Trade Talks. Doug, have you written any books recently that you would like to plug? Well, I guess I'll have to scratch my head and think, but there is this recent book called Clashing Over Commerce, A History of U.S. Trade Policy that goes into much more detail on all the examples we've talked about today and much more. It is a bestseller. A huge thank you to Doug Irwin from Dartmouth College for giving us his time. And thank you to John Prudeau, the U.S. editor, for his amazing rendition of Henry Clay. Please, please do tell your friends, your family, random strangers in the street. And of course, if you have any feedback or unadulterated praise or admiration, then do get in touch. On Twitter, I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to understanding trade, understanding the history and the economics is both important. Chad, I I hope you're feeling pretty threatened. We've got a competitor for the double underscore thing. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm going to need a tariff to get some protection from these economic historians. (sighs) 